Welcome to Hannah's Heart. So Hannah, she's just one of the women who did struggle with infertility in the Bible. No matter who we are, we can be inspired by the fact that Hannah took her pain to God and God heard her and was with her. So when she was praying at the temple, she had been weeping and not eating and her lips were moving, but her eyes were closed and the priest was like, why are you drunk at the temple? Because <laughs> yeah. it can become an obsession when you want Wanting a child so deeply. And desiring that baby and to be a mama. Every holiday, every Mother's Day. This is not a show that's going to promise you a certain outcome. But this is a show that says, however God answers your cry, we know that He's enough. Hi, this is Kendra on American Family Radio, and you are listening to Hannah's Heart. We are so glad to have you today. Um, we are going to continue a discussion from last week that is very interesting and very important. Um, a lot of couples have um, suffered a miscarriage in their life, and um, they are haunted by a question that is very heavy on their heart. And that question is, am I going to see my baby again? Do babies go to heaven when they die? Um, this is a, a, a very deep topic. If you're struggling with um, a miscarriage right now, please know we are praying for you. We would love, please, um, you can write us at hannahsheart at afa.net, um, and we will send you a prayer and be partnering with you and your family. You do not have to go through this alone. Um, but we, we want to approach this topic with both compassion and clarity. Um, I, I mentioned on our, our last week's episode that my husband and I unfortunately had to um, walk through this journey um, in, in the summer of 2021 and um, it was so painful and in the middle of it he, he t- I had made a comment about how you know well at least we get to see our, our, our little babies again um, and, they're, and they're in heaven with Jesus and, and he just kind of looked at me and said do we know that? How do we know that? And so if you haven't had a chance, I encourage you to go to the podcast page on American Family Radio um, and go check out Hannah's Heart, our episode from last week. It is a very foundational um, conversation to what we're going to continue talking about today. But let me introduce our guest. We have with us Alex McFarland from the amazing Exploring the Word on American Family Radio. Alex, thank you so much for coming back on the show. Well, thank you, Kendra. It's always an honor, and I so appreciate your ministry, uh, uh, the printed page, the spoken word, broadcasting. You do a great work for the gospel, and I'm always honored to be on with you. Well, amen. Well, thank you. We love what you do. And if you um, haven't um, checked out any of the resources that Alex does offer, I encourage you to go to alexmcfarland.com. We got to produce a couple years ago a project with Alex called the 21 Toughest questions that your, you know, your kids ask you about Christianity. And um, that was such a fun project to work on with you, Alex. And you were so articulate in answering some of those questions that make parents just kind of freeze. Well, I, I give God the glory. Um, do, do you know, you may be aware of this, but uh, that came out, we did that with American Family Studios, which has produced so many films and documentaries and wonderful projects. But we did the 21 toughest questions your kids will ask about God and Christianity. And did you know it won uh, Curriculum of the Year? Yes, that's incredible. Yes. So well, helpful. Well, I, I give God the glory and your amazing production staff. It certainly wasn't 
me, the speaker, but there was a thing in Cincinnati, Ohio, and I got invited to this ceremony, and it was kind of like, I don't know, it was kind of like the Academy Awards for Christian filmmakers, and that won Curriculum of the Year a couple of years ago, so uh, we give God the glory, and uh, what a a privilege to make resources that... I think, uh, make an impact in the lives of people. Amen. Well, um, you are so articulate on answering people's tough questions and um, specifically rooting them in Scripture and having a biblical worldview to help us understand and piece together what we're going through in life. And so in in discussing today's topic, let's start, if you would, Alex, I know we spent all of last program talking about this, but would you give a brief summary um, from last episode of the question, um, you know, do babies go to heaven when they die? Oh, well, thanks, Kendra. Um, yes, absolutely. As, as I study Scripture and have for the last 30 years, and I've, I've tried to read a lot of the great thinkers throughout 2,000 years of Christendom, uh, I absolutely, absolutely believe that babies uh, that die do go to heaven. And I think one of the prime scriptural uh, bases for that would be Second Samuel uh, twelve twenty three, uh, the baby that was conceived by David and Bathsheba uh, died, but David said, "I'm going to see that child again." And other scriptures like First Corinthians thirteen and Matthew seventeen that we will know our loved ones in heaven. So yes, uh, babies that die go to heaven, and if mom and dad are born again. In fact, I've I've uh, counseled with a number of men who um, lost a baby, mm-hmm. and one man he was a, a semi-professional baseball player, real you know macho you know man's man, and he said he was, he had become an atheist because he couldn't deal with the idea of never seeing his child mm-hmm. again. And I said, well, look, you know, I I guarantee your baby is in heaven and is a person. So if you really do want to see your child again, the wisest thing you could do is come to Jesus. Mm -hmm. And it took a few years, but ultimately this man did. And so, you know, Christ is our consolation. Christ is our hope. In fact, in spite of some of the the deepest valleys of life, Jesus is our joy. Amen. Because all the human heart longs for and hopes for, we can ultimately find that in the Savior. Excellent. Well, a few additional scriptures I want to mention that we didn't get to talk about last week. Um, Isaiah seven sixteen. Um, Isaiah says, "For um, it says, for before the boy knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land whose two kings you dread will be deserted." So this is having to do with a prophecy. But the phrase I want to key in on is, "Before the boy knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good." So Alex. Um, First of all, do you believe that all human beings are are born with a a sin nature or born into sin? I do. I do. Sometimes you'll hear the phrase original sin, but we we needed Jesus because we're sinners by birth and we're sinners by choice. Mm. I mean, we're born with a sin nature, but... Um, that scripture you gave, the Isaiah 7 scripture, is one of the prime scriptures for the concept of what we call the age of accountability. Before the child knows or literally reaches the point to choose the good and reject the evil. Now, now let me get deep a little bit. Um, Romans chapter 4 talks about 
Christ's imputed righteousness, that when we believe on Jesus, the the righteousness of Jesus, Mm -hmm. the holiness of Jesus is accredited to us or infused. Now, we, we talk about Christ's imputed righteousness, but really all of us have Adam's imputed unrighteousness. Mm. So, so we need a Savior. We have this sin nature. It's very funny. Um, you know, a little baby, uh, <laughs> they don't know what it is to lie or they don't know, you know what it is to sin, but yet you might ask a child, you know, did you eat a cookie before dinner? And you can see the struggle going on, and the child might say, uh, no. Mm. And how how do we know how to tell a story, tell a lie, or be disobedient, or be angry, or be selfish? We have this proclivity, this bent toward sin. Now, uh, Kendra, I absolutely believe that as children, even as maybe young teens, we are under God's grace, God in His grace, because the Bible says He is long-suffering, not willing that any should perish. So we are under the, the provenient righteousness of Jesus mm-hmm. until we each reach that time of accountability where we, ha- we realize that we're a sinner, we realize we're guilty, we're accountable to God, God can forgive us, and then we, at the soonest possible age, we, we turn to Christ and are forgiven. But yes, we do have the guilt of Adam and Eve, but yet children and even young adolescents, until they really know their accountability to God, most scholars, and I, I agree, would say that they they would go to heaven mm-hmm. uh, if they were to die prematurely. Of course, if you're a young person listening to this, Scripture does not give a specific age as to when you are accountable. Um, That's right. And so I would encourage anyone, choose Christ today. And I think God, God works in the lives of young people, even from a very, very young age. Um, another Scripture that um, ties into this debate is, you know, Luke, when John the Baptist is... Um, filled with the Holy Spirit from in the womb. He has this moment Mm -hmm. where um, I think the Spirit doesn't need an age to start working in our lives. Um, And so for those of you that have have lost babies, you know, it was my prayer. As long as I got to carry that baby, I said, you know, I was praying over that baby. None of those prayers are wasted just because I don't get to hold this baby. Um, God's Spirit was already present with my little loved ones in my womb. He was there with them. Um, Well, Alex, um, let's talk a little bit about, um, okay, well, first I have a ridiculous question for you. This is absolutely ridiculous, but it popped into my head. So if there is no age, if there is some sort of age of accountability that God recognizes um, and anyone, you know, prior to that, um, I'm going to call it, gets a ticket to heaven, um, Mm -hmm. would it not be a grace to go kill all of the babies so that they're guaranteed access to heaven? Again, a ridiculous question, but how would you answer no. that? <laughs> well, it, it would not be a grace because um, murder is taking something that doesn't belong to us. Mm-hmm. See, life b- belongs to the one who gave it, God. And so uh, we, don't, we don't have to run ahead and try to help God out. Paul asked the rhetorical question. And by the way, a rhetorical question is one where the answer is like really obvious. Mm-hmm. Paul asked this question, should we sin that grace may abound. Mm. And Paul said, you know, heaven forbid, no. 
And the other thing is like to say, oh, well, if children are under God's grace, then we would take the lives of children. No, that's not ours to do. Murder, and let me just say this, um, the sixth commandment is thou shalt not commit murder. And that includes self-murder. Mm. Sometimes um, I've, had, I've counseled people that exhibit what is called suicidal ideation, and they'll say, you know, I'm just going to end it all. No, uh, because, you know, while another person's life is not mine to take, even even my own life is not really mine. It mm. belongs to God. First Corinthians six nineteen and twenty says that we are not our own. Isn't that something? Mm. Our life, our even our time belongs to the Lord. And so, uh, you know, your your question actually is is one of of great biblical implication. So no, it would not show grace to kill the babies. All right. Well, now we're going to jump into um, a, a conversation that um, not all of our listeners might agree on, but I think it's an important discussion to have. And um, many in um, of our, our Reformed brothers and sisters might answer this question of, do all babies go to heaven a little differently? And Alex, I want you to feel free to share um your your view on this openly, and we're going to have just an open discussion. And so, um, first of all, could you begin by defining, um, and this is not all from a, a Calvinist or a reform perspective, but, um, but, but many from that background believe. Can you kind of share their beliefs in a nutshell? Well, thanks very much. And, and let me applaud you for, you know, drilling down deeply and going into some deep theology. Well, you know, 500 years ago in 1517, something happened in Europe called the Reformation. And we are here today riding on the ripple effect of the Reformation. And um, the bottom line, the great one of the great realities of the Reformation is salvation by faith, not works. And that was great, and the gospel spread throughout Europe, and millions uh, trusted Christ. But as, you know, the dust settled, different camps uh, kind of arose to try to answer some of the the big questions, you know, that that all deal with. And I want to say that um, generally Reformed theology is associated with Presbyterianism, which um, Cal- John Calvin, Geneva, Switzerland, Knox, and the Scott Presbyterians that came over to the colonies. And, and you know, my family has been largely Presbyterian for about 203 years, I kind of broke ranks, and uh, I, I came to the Lord when I was in college through a Baptist campus uh, mm-hmm. outreach. Um, and so I want to say what I'm about to share, uh, we're not questioning whether or not anybody is saved, and we're not disputing somebody's love for the Lord and their fidelity to Jesus, but um, I, I disagree with Reformed theology on a couple of points one of which, and, and again, not all would affirm this, not all, but many believe in something that's called double election. Now, double election in Calvinistic circles says that, you know, some are elected to go to heaven and some are non-elect, and with no recourse, uh, they would go to hell. Uh, why? Well, to show the sovereignty of God. Mm-hmm. But, but here's the thing, uh, without getting too deep in the weeds, and again, if I want to preemptively apologize, Kendra. If what I say offends anybody, I, I, that is not my intent. 
I know Reformed people love Jesus, non-Reformed, Arminian, Wesleyan, Methodist love Jesus. I'm just saying that when I was a, a young person and I was newly saved and I began to read, read, read and study, uh, here, here was one of the reasons that I began to step away from Reformed theology, because it's like, now think about this, the, the elect took no role in accepting Christ, but the non-elect were blameworthy for having rejected Christ. Mm-hmm. You see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And so when it comes to like an infant or a miscarriage, I was driving down the road, I heard a, a pretty famous radio preacher uh, tell a bereaved mother on live radio, and it was hard to hear because I think it, it created a lot of hurt, and I think it was not biblically supported. But this famous radio person said, well, I'm sorry you had a miscarriage. If your baby was one of the non-elect, then your baby is in hell. Mm. I, I categorically, emphatically, thoroughly disagree with that. Now, and again, I don't make light of salvation, but here's the thing. Um, baby, it really, and, and many great thinkers like C.S. Lewis wrestle with this and said, look, um, it would serve no good purpose, and it really would not be morally uh, sufficient for God to do that. Um, now, here's what the Reformed person is going to say. Well, um, Jesus died only for the elect, and if if there were masses of humanity that rejected Jesus' sacrifice, it would somehow cheapen the atonement on the cross. And to that, I would say something like this. Imagine, let's say you've got a, a, a ship that's sinking, and there's, there's a lifeboat, and the lifeboat is worth a half million dollars, and the lifeboat is, is big enough to hold everybody. And you say, come, get in the lifeboat. You're going to drown. Jump in. And uh, the person goes, no, I can swim to shore on my own. Because some people reject the lifeboat, that doesn't diminish the value of the lifeboat. Mm. The lifeboat is is the size it is and the value it is, regardless if some people are foolish enough to reject it. But then the ship is sinking. And so, you know, the old saying, the maritime cry, women and children first. You know, we the the helpless get put into the lifeboat before uh, anybody else gets in. Here's my point. If we know how to show mercy, let's remember God is mercy. Mm-hmm. And so um, God, you know, I don't believe in the reform doctrine of double election because really, uh, as I understand it, what it means is all the born again will be conformed to the image of Christ one day. You know, we are chosen to be conformed to the image of Christ. So if you're born again, one day you will get a glorified body. You will be fully sanctified. In other words, you'll be in the presence of Jesus. And I know this is kind of a lot of deep theology, but the Bible says, whosoever will may come. And yes, God is in control, but yes, humans have free will. And while God God offers salvation, I, I think whoever calls on the name of the Lord can be saved. Now, a little infant can't call on the name of the Lord, but God is not going to demand us to do something it would be impossible mm-hmm. for us to do. So, so the Second Samuel twelve twenty three. 
um, most would say, and, and I agree, that babies are under grace. Now, mom and dad, if you've lost a child, I know it's, it's painful, but you, if you're a believer, you will see that baby again, mm-hmm. and you will know your child in heaven. Thank you, Alex. I think that's super helpful. And and while not everyone may completely agree on these points of theology, um, I do want to mention um, not everyone in the Reformed camp um, is going to talk about this topic exactly the same way. There's definitely exactly. a lot of variety. And um, one, one thing I do appreciate from my Reformed brothers and, and sisters is um, their willingness to um, embrace God's goodness and his mercy, even when they don't understand it. Um, And that's something that's so helpful for all of us as believers. And I will say, um, if anyone um, is struggling with this issue and you you go to a a Reformed church, but you want to talk to a pastor or somebody about it, most pastors are going to um, approach this topic and their discussions with you in a very compassionate setting, Um, maybe not quite as harsh as the... um, person you heard on the radio, but I, I do think um, this this topic is very important because those um, that, that question of, will I see my baby again, is um, such a repetitive thing that parents want to, want to have that assurance of. And, um, I, and, I, and I, Go ahead. <laughs> and forgive me for interrupting, but I was thinking about this because there, inevitably, when we go through a hard time, there's the question of why. Mm-hmm. Why am I going through this? And and I don't know that we can always know why. Mm-hmm. And I think it, it can be unhealthy to, you know, get a tape loop going in our head. You know, well, God could have prevented this, but he didn't. Mm-hmm. Maybe I'm in sin or maybe God doesn't love me. Kendra, let me share a verse. Mm-hmm. 2 Corinthians 1, 4 is a very interesting verse, regardless of uh, what journey, you know, you've been on as a Christian or the pain. But Second Corinthians 1, four says, you know, blessed be uh, God, the Father of all mercies, the God of all comfort. Mm. Now listen to this. It says, who comforts us in all our tribulations, that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort wherewith we ourselves were comforted by God. Let me, let me repeat that. 2 Corinthians 1, 4. God is the God of all comfort, who comforts us in our tribulations. Why? That we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble. Now, I, it, like, let's say a parent loses a child. I don't know why. They're a good, godly couple. They prayed. They wanted to be parents, mm. and yet the child died. I, I don't fully know the plans and the purposes of God, but I know God is good and God is merciful. But here's the thing. If I read 2 Corinthians 1, 4, someday down the road, you can come alongside a person going through a similar thing, and you can say, you can legitimately say, I understand. Because mm. here's the thing. Sometimes pain, whether it's, Loss of a job, loss of a loved one, loss of a, of a baby. It might be preparation for future ministry. Mm-hmm. Now you say, wait just a minute. I didn't ask for this assignment. Yep, none of us do. And maybe maybe this might seem like semantics, but not to say that God caused this to happen so that I can minister to others, but he allowed right. it to happen, and yes. God doesn't waste pain. 
That's right. One of the beautiful things about the Christian experience, and Kendra, I want to say to anybody listening, because these these are hard times, please know God cares. Okay, Mm -hmm. Matthew 6, 8 says the Father knows what we need even before we ask. So God cares, and pain isn't wasted, honestly. Mm -hmm. No pain is wasted. Mm -hmm. Joel 2.25 says God restores the years the locust has eaten. Yes. (laughs) You know, I... Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. uh, uh, Yeah. I I mean, if you're willing to turn to Christ, I honestly think... Mm. um, even years of hurting or wondering or wandering, um, God, because He's beyond time and above time and He controls time, don't tell yourself, it's too late for me, I'll never be happy, so many years have been wasted. No. Mm. You turn to the God who is in control of history, and no matter what, what's been done to you or what maybe you feel like you've done to yourself or just... The circumstances of, of a fallen world that fell on top of you through nobody's fault at all, give your situation to God, and He'll make something beautiful out of it. Well, Alex, we just have a moment left, but would you pray a brief prayer for us? Father God, thank you that you are the God who washes our sins away, you mm-hmm. heal our broken heart, you wipe away every tear. May ourselves and every listener turn to you fully. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Alex, thank you so much for your wisdom, for pointing us to God's Word on this issue. And to our listeners, just know God is close to the brokenhearted. He sees you. You are not forgotten. He loves you. And we are praying for you. If you want to send a prayer request, send it to Hannah's Heart at afa.net, and we're praying for you.